Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I uh, continued on talking about the good news, the gospel, and I know we have uh, been looking at why the good news was so important after the law, and we'll go to slide 23. Uh, we ended this morning looking at leaning on, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, and talking about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And then uh, it was gospel enemy, the gospel, the good news enemy. Uh, what keeps us from leaning on the Lord in the midst of what we're going through is a sense of self-righteousness. And, and it's not so pronounced as I am fine, but it's when I attempt to do my own thing and make my own decisions and I believe that I know best for my life and that I believe that I, I can do this, I've got this under control. At some point, it keeps me from just plunging into him and plunging into the presence and spirit of Almighty God. Gospel enemy number two, or the good news enemy, is a sense of persistent guilt. And I, I say persistent. Uh, it, it's okay to feel guilt. It's okay to feel like, oh, I've done bad. I've done wrong. I, I'm sorry. I've sinned and come short of the glory. But when I said persistent, I guess what I want to draw your attention to is the enemy Whenever we have done wrong, he tries then, it's our natural inclination that we separate ourselves from God. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, they hid from the presence of God. I don't know what would have happened. It was always been curious to me as if Adam would have said, Lord, let me find you. I'm so sorry. You don't know what I, I, I don't know where my brain was. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know that Eve and then she talked to me and I, I don't know what was going on, but I need you, Lord, to wash me and cleanse me and strengthen me. <coughs> how, how do we know what would have happened? At that moment, there was a, unfortunately, an unwillingness to, to come into his presence. And, you know, I understand there's, you know, the Bible talks about our conscience and we feel bad and I don't feel like getting into the presence of the Lord and so I hide. Anybody ever felt like that? You know, oh God, woe is me. Oh, I've done it again. Oh, I messed up. I thought I could do better. I am I am, you know, I, I read uh, what, what Paul said in Romans, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, uh, but the doers of the law. And man, I, I have not been doing it. Then, you know, he talks about the Gentiles. He said, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, by, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves. In other words, nobody could exist without some kind of law. You may say, well, I don't like God's law. Okay, then which laws are you going to follow? 
well, I'll follow whatever man says is law. You're going to have to have a law or there would be ultimate chaos. People could kill whom they wanted, do what they want. It's a law unto yourself. And so he says, the Gentiles who never really got the law from the Old Testament at least have the nature to understand you don't need to steal from your neighbor. Just because you can, you shouldn't do it. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. And so he says, they show the work of the law and it's written where? In their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts. The meanwhile, what happens is then I begin accusing or excusing. Anybody ever been there? I'm going, yes, I am speeding, but technically I'm only going five miles an hour. So I've excused the fact that I'm speeding. And I'm at least not speeding as much as some people speed. And I really need to get there because it's a good thing that I'm going to. Eh? We all do that, folks. Now, I'm not telling you that I haven't done it. I do it all the time, you know. I, in fact, confession's good for the soul. I, this light down here by the Catholic school, I used to go to, we lived at Berwyn, and I had to go through that light after coming out of church every night. Now I can turn here. This one's not as bad. But that light down there, if you don't hit it just right, I have sat there, I have put it in reverse. I have gone forward. <laughs> it's 8.30 at night, not a car on the street. Back up, go forward. Forward, back up. Then I just go. I'm just being real. I've had enough of it. I gave you plenty of time to change, like. You refused, and so now I'm just ignoring the fire out of you. And I'm sure none of y'all have ever been guilty of something like that. I'm, you all know me. I've been honest, confessed my faults, and I, I have them when it comes to my driving. But, you know, I, I, it's like, okay, I give you so long, and then you better change. Do we accuse and excuse? We find ourselves, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, I, I know I should do this, but I, it's not, at least I, huh? Because I put the law on myself. Why? Because I don't want to feel guilt. I don't want to feel bad. So I excuse myself. I accuse somebody else. Now, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy that the Spirit speaking expressly that in the last days some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies in hypocrisy having their conscience seared 
with a hot iron. When you fall into that trap of excusing and accusing before long, you don't listen to the Holy Ghost anymore. You understand? I just do what I think is right. Therefore, whose righteousness am I leaning on? Mine, so that I won't feel guilt. Paul told Titus, he says, unto you, the pure, all things are pure, but unto those that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. And I understand. I, 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 we have seen a world that has gone crazy. I, I don't know who, you know, and I feel the same way. It's who do you trust? You get a video clip of somebody and then you get another video clip and to... And we say, well, you know, they're nothing but crooks and they're nothing. And so consequently, I can do what I want to do. Huh? That's why he said their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they have, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. I, I pretend that I know God, but in my actions, I'm not doing what the Lord wants. I know some people say, well, you know, by grace, and it doesn't matter how you live, and it doesn't matter. You are right, and you are wrong. It does matter, because if you truly love him, you will obey him. Can God forgive you? Yes. Will God forgive you? Yes. But you have to be willing to lean on his righteousness. If you fall into the trap of doing your own, you know, well, I don't think this is bad. I don't think this is so wrong. He says they become abominable, disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. He told Timothy later on, he said, Timothy, in this first chapter, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. And he named two of them. I don't know who they are, what they did, but Hymenaeus and Alexander. So this is not a new phenomenon, folks. People that born again, people that live for God, can all of a sudden reach the point where they think they know more than the Word, they know more than the Spirit of God. And what happens is they start losing a real relationship with God. I can come on Sunday morning and say, Lord, Lord, but am I really finding myself plunging into Him? And I can't judge that. I can't judge the heart. I don't know where you are. You can come and look good and be here on Sunday. You can look good on Sunday night. But, you know, at some point, the reality is, are you having a relationship with God? That's why I know when you realize, I know I've sinned. 
I need the strength of the Lord. I need his righteousness. All of a sudden, it's taking the focus over what I've done, and I begin to focus on what he's done for me. That's the only way you can get help, you know, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a sin, whether it's a habit, is you got to stop trying to think, well, maybe I can do it once. Well, maybe I can do it twice. If the Lord's convicting you and trying to stop, then you've got to say, I've got to get into him. I've got to get into him. I've got to open up and worship him. I've got to raise my hands and praise him. I've got to let his spirit flow through me. You say, well, I just want help conquering this, but I don't want to get into him. You'll never understand what it means. It goes back to the story. Remember the story? The, the, the young kids can tell it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He climbed up in the sycamore tree. The Lord he wanted to see. Pass that way. He said, For I'm going. I remember that song. If you went to Sunday school, Rod, you shaking your head. No, you must not have been in Sunday school. They didn't have Sunday school back then. Okay, that, that was back in the ancient days. Bless his heart. Outed him right here on a Sunday night. Yeah, they did. Remember the little story? Let's read it in the Bible just a little closer. You all know it. You've sung about it. You know what it is. The Bible says this guy was chief among the publicans. Now, do you know who the publicans were? Not the Republicans. <laughs> the publicans were the tax collectors. Guess who they worked for? The Roman government. They worked for the Roman government. Now, they were given an amount of money to collect, $5,000. And their job was to go through and get it. If they got six, guess who benefited for 1000 Zacchaeus. If they got seven, guess who benefited 2000 If they didn't get five, the Roman government would say, so you always had to get a little extra. It's only prudent. And so he was the chief of those. And guess what? He was rich. And I don't know why. I don't know what happened. I don't know what went on in his mind? But Zacchaeus decided, I want to get Jesus to my house. Is that what he said? No. What did he say? I just want to see him. He had obviously heard something about the guy. He had heard who he was. He sees this crowd, and he realizes, you know, 
people aren't going to move away for him to, so he's going to jump and see if he can look over, and that doesn't work. So he spies a sycamore tree, and he runs down the road, and he climbs up in the sycamore tree. Jesus walks by, came to the place, looked up, saw him. And you know what he said? Zacchaeus, what? Hurry up. Get down here. Make haste. Come down for today. I must come to your house. You're kidding me. have thought Jesus would have looked up and said, hey, wee little leprechaun man. Why'd you climb a tree? Did you bring a camera? Take a picture? It would have lasted longer. I know, cameras weren't invented and they didn't know about the Irish. I got it. Okay. This was above and beyond what Zacchaeus was anticipating. And so Zacchaeus is hurrying down and he's making haste. He's a little bit into this. And the Bible says, and he opens the door to his house. And what word does it use? Joyfully. It's so great. Jesus is coming to my house. Jesus is coming to my house. Jesus is coming to my house. How exciting. I thought I was just going to get to see him. And guess what? He's going to come to my house. How did the people that were all on the street respond? Look at that. Can you believe it? This guy's going to eat with Zacchaeus. We know who Zacchaeus is. He's a thief. He works for the Romans. He's a chief publican. He is a sinner. God is, his God is money. And Zacchaeus stood as the Lord came into his house. And he said, behold, Lord, I'm giving half of everything I have to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody, I will restore it fourfold. You know what Jesus' response was? This day. This day. What? Salvation is come to this house. For as much as he also is the son of Abraham, for the son of man is come to seek and to save those which are lost. What are you saying? I'm saying 
we ought to have an emotional response to the fact that Jesus was coming to our house. Amen. Wow, Lord, you've invited me. I've invited you into my house and you're willing to come into my temple. That ought to inspire some joy. That ought to inspire some excitement. I ought to be willing to make haste. Well, it's okay. I don't really ever get too excited about anything. Oh, Jesus is willing to come to my house. What a privilege it is that Jesus is willing to come to my house. I wanted to change my life. My God was money, but now I'm willing to give half of everything away and restore. What was he saying? He was what the Lord was trying to explain was, you know what? This gospel changed Zacchaeus' life. Oh, hallelujah. All of us that are here tonight, and I know it's a Sunday night and those online, we can point to the fact of what he's done for me. Oh, what he's done for me. How could I not love him? How could I not worship him? How could I not serve him? How could I not give him everything? It's more than just, you know, he's done so much for me. You know, the gospel is only for sinners. What are you saying? I'm saying that you will not ever Plunge into the righteousness of God until you realize I'm a sinner and I need God and not worry about how guilty you feel. This sense of persistent guilt drives you away from God. Oh, I'm not talking, you know, well, just live like you want and do like you want, but I'm talking about when you've done something wrong, what does that need to signal in your mind? I need to run back to the blood. I need to run back to the cross. I need to get back. I need to invite Jesus back into my house. That ought to impact me joyfully. Because guess what? He's coming to my house. Anybody ever feel grateful that the Lord will come to your house? That's why Paul, whenever he wrote in Corinthians, he would say, he would say this. He said, guess what? My grace is sufficient. You know, he had prayed. He had asked the Lord three times. And he said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses. Why? For when I am weak, it it pushes me into him. Then I am strong. Do you remember 2 Timothy? Timothy, the preacher, got depressed. Preachers never really get depressed, but... Timothy did. Preacher that got fearful. Preachers never get fearful, but Timothy did. Before COVID, Timothy got fearful. You remember Paul opened up his book, Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of sound mind. You know what he said in the second chapter? Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Remember, he has already said, this was Paul's last letter, was to 2 Timothy. He's already written, my grace is sufficient. Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
Now, I'm not an English major. My wife is, my, Sheena was. But I know enough that that's, when you look that word up in the Greek, to be strong means to be strengthened. What does it say? To receive strength. To what? Receive, receive strength. It's a passive imperative. When he said, be strong, it's not an active imperative. An active imperative is when you do something. When Paul told Timothy, preach the word. That means what, Timothy? Get up and do it. Whenever we say, raise your hands, that's an active imperative. Do it. But when he said, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What he was saying is God didn't give you a spirit of fear. But you know what? Let Start receiving the grace of God. A passive imperative. Let God strengthen you. Let God build you up. You know how that happens? That's not just not pretending that, oh, I'm not weak. I don't, I've got it all. In. No, that's not any of that. What that is, is plunging into the presence of Almighty God, letting the Holy Ghost flow through you and letting him strengthen you. It is that sense of, I didn't do this, but God did it. I can't handle it, but God can. I can't see my way through, but I serve a God that if I lean on his righteousness, <laughs> that's why in Ephesians he said, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to his riches of his glory to be strengthened with might. How? By his spirit, where? In the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, being rooted and grounded, where? In love. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But you with open face, that's why we come and we've worshiped and you've felt the presence of God. But you just have to open yourself up. That's why he says with open face, you know. If you say, well, I don't really think I need it. I don't really think I should have it. I don't really think it's necessary. Guess what? You will never get the strength that God has for you. You have to be open-faced. Well, okay, Lord, if you want me to have it, you can knock me down. He's not going to do that. Amen. You've got to open face. You with open face, beholding the glory of the Lord. What happens when you open yourself up to his glory, his spirit? It begins to change your DNA. It begins, you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old things that you wanted to do, you don't do anymore. And the stuff that, you know, you used to love, it doesn't, doesn't do that for you anymore. I'm talking about a presence of God. I, I, I could... I could have people raise their hands in this congregation and tell you about how that God delivered them from habits and God delivered them from addictions and all of a sudden they didn't they didn't have a taste for it anymore. 
They didn't feel like, they just didn't want it anymore. They just didn't want to, huh? What are you saying, pastor? What I'm saying is they begin to get into his presence and it's open-faced, even by the Spirit of the Lord. My last slide. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, let him make you perfect in every good work to do his, what is it? His will. It is up to him to make you perfect and to help you do his will. But if you stay away from him, either because you feel bad or because you feel like you don't have to have him today, guess what? You won't have the strength. You'll struggle with every habit. You'll struggle with every thought. Anybody huh? know what I'm talking about? He said, he will make you perfect in every good work and do, in, do his will. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. That's how he ended the letter to the Hebrews. What are you saying? What Paul was saying is, look folks, we have a helper. We have an advocate. We have an intercessor. We have a counselor. We have a comforter. And if you'll let him flow through you, it'll change you. You talk about living for God. You talk about changing your habits. I'm talking about a God that will do all of that if you'll let him, if you'll lean on him. It's when I think I can handle it now. Well, I don't need to lean on him. Remember I leaned on him? I don't need to lean on him anymore. I can handle this one. Guess what? Next good wind that blows is gonna show me, bam. Oh God, I need to run back into your presence. That's why Paul said, oh, I, I'm thankful when I have tribulations because it reminds me I need to be leaning on him. Oh, hallelujah, let's stand. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In fact, let's come. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah.